Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text is our Old Testament lesson from Ezekiel, chapter 17. Long before the days of PowerPoint and video presentations, long before the days of chalkboards and whiteboards and overhead projectors and handouts, Jesus had a powerful way of teaching. He simply told stories. Parables. They were short and to the point. Stories about kings and stewards. They were stories about lost sheep and lost coins. Stories about great banquets and poor beggars. In our gospel lesson for today, Jesus told a story about a farmer who planted seed, planted the seed in the field, and then walked away. And the seed grew. And the harvest came. And that's it. It just happened. That's how the kingdom of God grows. It's like a mustard seed. Small and insignificant. Planet. And in no time at all, it grows large and becomes a home to a host of birds. According to St. Mark, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them. He did not speak to them without a parable, without a story. It should come as no surprise that the Lord made use of stories in the Old Testament as well. Remember the story the prophet Nathan told to King David, a story about a rich man who had a poor neighbor and the rich man stole his poor neighbor's pet lamb. And he used it for the main course of a feast he gave to entertain a friend. What about the story Isaiah told about a vineyard? A vineyard tenderly cared for, planted, nurtured, cultivated in every way, and when the time came for the harvest, it produced awful grapes. They were terrible. And then there's the story of our text. Ezekiel chapter 17, just three verses long. It begins with God himself taking a twig from the top of the tree. He breaks off a young and a tender branch, and he plants it on the mountain height of Israel. And this small twig grows into something impressive. It was no ordinary pine tree. We're talking about the king of trees, a cedar of Lebanon. This was a tree that could grow ten stories tall, and its base could fill this sanctuary. This was a noble tree. 
pride of any forest. It provided shelter for every creature that came under its mighty limbs. Here was a short story that ends with the words, I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. And I can guarantee that the people who first heard this story had a very hard time believing it. These men and women who heard Ezekiel tell God's story used to live in the land of Judah. They once had homes on the mountain heights of Israel. They were the residents of Jerusalem and the small neighboring towns and villages. But all that was past. They had recently moved. They now live a thousand miles to the east. They were in Babylon. Not because of better job opportunities. Not because of lower taxes. Or cheap, cheaper housing. Or a better climate. They moved as captives at the point of spears. They dragged their feet every inch of the way. They moved under the watchful eyes of soldiers who had invaded their cities, destroyed their homes, burned their fields, ravaged their forests. They moved under the supervision of commanders and generals who ordered their every step. They moved, leaving behind piles of smoldering rubble and scorched earth. Nobody wanted to hear a story about small twigs growing on the mountainside back home. Nobody wanted to hear about some lush cedar tree thriving in what was now a wasteland. Nobody wanted to hear about it starting all over again in the very place where life ended. Nobody wanted to talk about hope when it seemed that God himself had torn hope right out of their hands. These were, after all, the very same people who wrote the bitter, painful, grieving words of Psalm 137. Part of Psalm 137 goes like this. Alongside Babylon's rivers, we sat on the banks, we cried and cried, remembering the good old days in Zion. That's where our captors demanded songs, sarcastic and mocking, sing us, a happy Zion song. Well, how could we ever sing God's song in the wastelands? And you, Babylonians, a reward for whoever gets back at you for all you've done to us. Leave us alone to wallow in our self-pity. Sound like anybody we know? 
that we have felt betrayed, bitter, crushed, has never happened that we planned and worked and dreamed and did everything we could to position ourselves in that very place where we were sure to get whatever it was we wanted. And then, wham, along comes COVID-19. The internship I counted on, the scholarship I hoped to land, the promotion I was sure to receive, the trip of a lifetime, the move to a new city, a new job, a new start. All of it halted, burned up, left in the trash, left in ruins. And just because we're getting vaccinated now, just because the mass mandate is being slowly lifted, just because life is starting to return to somewhat normal, doesn't mean that all my wishes and desires and dreams are about to come true. Cancer does not take a holiday just because COVID-19 has its way for a year. Lab tests still come back with devastating news. Family stresses and tensions do not vanish indefinitely. Retirement plans still go up in smoke. Jobs are still lost. Ever feel like joining the chorus of Psalm 137? Alongside Babylon's rivers, we sat on the banks, we cried and cried, remembering the good old days in Zion. Don't talk to me about hope. Because hope's not for me. That's certainly what many in Ezekiel's congregation thought. For those Jews living in exile in Babylon, hope seemed out of the question. They were so immersed in their despair and doom that they could see nothing else. Many of them had given up on God. God had not given up on them. In spite of their refusing to listen, their refusing to believe, their refusing to repent, God still reached out in hope. He gave them a story so they could understand. It was a story about small twigs growing into a massive tree. A story designed to lift their spirits and heal their hurts. It was time to quit focusing on the loss and the pain of the past and to look to the future. A future that God held in His gracious, almighty, compassionate, 
bring to life all at once. God was not promising an instant forest of cedars that would spring up overnight. It takes time to grow a tree ten stories tall. But it starts with a small twig. It starts with an exile community spending 70 years in captivity in Babylon. And then would come that long, arduous trip back home. And then would come the rebuilding of a land that had been left as nothing. And the repopulation of a land had no population. Finally, after passing centuries, there would come those angel visits and the angel choir in the sky and the star over the city of David and the baby in the manger. And look closely. Because it's God himself come to save sinners. Like you and me and those exiles in Israel. It starts so small and it takes so long. And what we would like is instant relief, instant victory, instant glory, instant healing. But there is this small branch from the top of the mighty cedar, and it has a lot of growing to do. We imagine that we, we don't have time to wait. We don't have time for the branch to take root and shoot up. So we turn away from the mustard seed, and we turn away from the newly planted field, because it looks like nothing is happening. How can anything wonderful come from this? Does that sound like anybody you've heard of before? Isn't that the very thing a man named Nathaniel once said to his friend Philip as they spoke of Jesus. Philip was all excited. He told Nathaniel, We have found the Savior Jesus of Nazareth. And what did Nathaniel say? You've got to be kidding me. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, that small twig of a place? And then there was the woman of the well. The Samaritan woman, Jesus, Jesus singled out. She wanted to know, why am I wasting my time talking with some Jewish rabbi? And that's precisely when Jesus exposed her sin, her aching heart, her grieving spirit, and offered her forgiving, renewing, compassionate, merciful 
water of life. Then there was Simon Peter, the fisherman, who had no luck at all. But Jesus came along and said, I'll show you where to fish. And his response to Jesus was something like this. Well, Lord, okay, but I am the fisherman and you're the carpenter. But I'll, I'll do what you say if you insist. And then Peter found himself on his knees before a catch of fish so great he was sinking his boat. And he felt compelled to say, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinner. At first glance, Jesus does not look like much of a mighty seer. Who? Him? Really him changing water to wine? Him? Feeding some 20,000 people with a few scraps of bread and some fish? Him? Command the wind and the waves? Him, healed the sick, stop the funeral march in the village of Nain, and bring a dead boy out of his casket back to life. Him, it was the Roman governor Pontius Pilate who thought, you can't be serious, king of the Jews, him, what kind of a seer is this? The only wood fit for him was a crown of thorns and the wood of a cross. But wait for three more days. And suddenly the most noble seer ever breaks through the stone of a tomb. And life triumphs over death. And the risen Christ has become the source of enduring hope. When my life is crushed by all that is wrong in this world, there is Christ who forgives my sin, grants me strength for my weakness, joy for my sorrow, promises to be by my side always, and gives me the sure and certain hope of eternal life. All that's left is for every repentant, believing heart to bow under the blessing of Scripture which declares, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Now may God's peace, which is far more than we can ever fully hope to understand, Keep our hearts and minds in Christ.